0: Matthew chapter 6 is where we are today, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 15, and then we'll revisit it as we go along. I would ask you, as is the custom of this church, and in doing honor to the reading of God's Word, to ask you please to stand. Listen closely, for this is God's holy and inerrant Word. Whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And Your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Then in verse 9, what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, probably best referred to as the model prayer, he says, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Let's pray together. Father, we are dependent upon you today to gain insight and inspiration from your word. And so, Lord, we have come as open vessels ready to receive. We have confessed our sins. We have praised you. We have observed the Lord's Supper. Father, we are open and ready to hear a word from you. And I pray, Lord, that there will be no obstacles to our hearing and there will be no restraint from our application of the word. For we have come today as people who are doers and not just hearers of your word. Dependent upon you, Lord, we ask for your blessing, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is the second of three, whenever you, statements that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, uh, uh, Pastor Charlie uh, read and preached on the first one. Whenever you give to the poor. Next Sunday, he'll preach on the next one, which is whenever you fast. Today, my assignment is to preach on whenever you pray. And you notice that it is assumed by the Lord Jesus that his hearers were doing these things because he does not admonish them to give to the poor. He does not ask them to pray, and he does not ask them to fast. He just assumed they were doing that. He assumed that the people that were hearing him were already practicing the spiritual disciplines. Look in Matthew 6, 2, just a few verses up. He says, Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. And then next Sunday, you're going to study Matthew 6 and 16 and the verses that follow. We'll just read verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Notice in each of those instances and the one that we're looking at today, he is putting uh, his teaching in comparison to the way the hypocrites practice their faith. He says, when you give to the poor, don't do it like the hypocrites. Instead, do it like genuine believers who love God and love people and are making disciples. Do it that way. And next Sunday, when Pastor Charlie preaches on whenever you fast, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do. They make it a big show. Instead of making themselves nice, look nice when they go out, they make themselves look bad. So the people say, what's wrong with you, Well, I'm so spiritual, I've been fasting. It's a big show. It's all about them. Instead, he gives instructions for how you are to fast. And in the same way today, he tells us that we are not to pray like the hypocrites do. He also expands it and he says we're not to pray like the Gentiles do. And so in that way, this one's unique. I suppose that prayer is a little bit more universal than giving to the poor or fasting. What do you think? Probably more people pray than do those other things. Giving to the poor, well, that takes a sacrifice. It takes a deep compassion. It takes a realization. That could be me. Now think about that for a minute. That could be me. I, too, could be dependent upon other people for just what I need every day, that could be me, or with the fasting, uh, not as many people are willing to do that, Uh, it's hard for me to give up a snack between meals, much less meals all day long, do you hear me? we kind of get dependent upon our food, don't we? But with the fasting, what ends up happening when somebody is so involved, they're so burdened with spiritual things, they just forget to eat. They just are so busy and occupied with their spiritual devotion that it's not really that big of a deal to give up the food because they're so involved with what they're doing at the time. And maybe it's planned or maybe it's spontaneous, but regardless, fewer people probably fast and fewer people probably give to the poor than people pray. I think everybody prays. I think even atheists pray. Even people that don't understand the presence of God around them, given the right circumstances, they will cry out to God even if they do not know His name. There's something inside of us that knows. And so because of that, Jesus contrasts the prayer whenever we pray, not just against what the hypocrites do, but also those against who he describes as the Gentiles, those outside of the faith, what they do. With the hypocrites, Jesus exposes their hidden motives. In each of these circumstances, they give, they pray, they fast to draw attention to themselves. For the one giving the poor, they sound a trumpet before they do it. For the one fasting, they disfigure themselves to draw attention to themselves. And for those that pray, the hypocrites, they do it loud and they do it proud. They get to a place on the street corners, perhaps in the synagogues where others will see them. And they pray in such a way to impress. In reality, in all of these cases, throughout this chapter, it's really, friends, it's not about... Giving, praying, or fasting, it's about hypocrisy. Throughout the entire chapter, Jesus is teaching against hypocrisy. People who use their faith for reputation management. Let that sink in for a moment where their faith has more to do with reputation management than it does a heartfelt desire to know and express appreciation for the God who created them and who they were created to serve. Instead, it's what other people are seeing them do. That's what's important to them. Their image what other people are thinking about them. Now, by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with being concerned about what other people think about you. Uh, the, The ones that always tout, well, I don't care what people think about me, are usually the kind of folks that people think the worst about. Am I right? I don't think there's anything wrong with checking your makeup and making sure you look fine or that you're uh, you know that your jacket fits, or you know that then in general your appearance is pleasing. I think it's good when people brush their teeth and comb their hair. How about you? No problem there. And I'm not speaking of reputation management in that way. I'm speaking of in a way where really the desire is to engender in, in, in yourself to people, endear yourself to people in such a way that you impress them to where you're invoking their admiration frankly where you're making your religious service all about you and not so much about God and others and here At this church, we're concerned with loving God, loving others, and making disciples, right? You see, this is just the opposite of that. It's where it becomes, in my case, the gym show. Where it becomes important for people to admire, respect, to notice. You know, long before I was ever a professor, I've been a professor now for 15 years. Long before I was this, I was a local church pastor. And I think back of the number of times whenever people had petty grievances, it could all be summed up with, well, you didn't give me the deference I think I deserved. Or you forgot to mention me and the nice thing that I did. And I remember how much that used to frustrate me. Now I look back and think, that should have been a signal for me to pick up on the massive potential they had for spiritual growth. Because when a person is growing spiritually and is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, they do not make their religious service about them. But it is about God and it is about others. How many times have we started a sentence with, Well, what I want or what I like is. Well, really, who cares? I mean, really? Is it about me? So what I want and what I like really is not as important as what furthers the mission. And if it furthers the mission, And people are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, church, look around us. Look around us at the needs. The people who are dying spiritually without hope. And if we thumb back in our pages in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about us being light and salt and not hiding that light. It's the mission that matters the most. We've gathered today because of the mission Because the people around us need a church that doesn't make it about them. That proclaims the gospel in its truth and its purity. Not to satisfy people's itching ears, but because it's the truth and it's the gospel. that will teach God's Word, that will live God's Word in the community. Because when they see the resurrected Lord living through us, suddenly all their arguments fall like the straw men they are. And they embrace the resurrected Lord and His gospel as we love them, as we love God, and as we make disciples. But Jesus is saying that's not the kind of praying that's happening. He, he points to the kind of praying where people are practicing their religious beliefs to draw attention to themselves. May God forgive us when we do that. May God forgive us in the moment that we make our faith about us and we miss that it's all about the Lord and his glory. In our text today, in these three clusters where he's railing against hypocrisy, He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Now imagine, they have an audience with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're praying to the creator of the universe, right? And their concern is who's seeing them do it. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Whatever it is they want, that's all. Whatever they get out of that, that's all they're getting. Do you mind me just putting it in plain English? That's it. As a whole, these three, whenever you instructions, clearly teach that practicing your faith is never enough. It's not enough to give, pray, and fast. It's never enough. You have to do it for the right reasons. Think about the people you love. You want them to behave in a certain way towards you, but you want their gifts and attention and their service and the time they give you to come from a heart of love, do you not? In fact, It's, in almost every case, it's the motives that really counts. They say about giving that it's the thought that counts. If the motives are off, it doesn't matter how elaborate the gift is. Friends, in our relationships... Don't we really just want to be valued, heard, respected, loved? Isn't that what we want the most? I suspect that uh, that runs in two directions, meaning that's what others want from us the most, too. And it's not they don't want your gifts or your time or your acts of service. They want those too. Sure they do, all of us do, but we want it from a heart that connects with us, do we not? Don't you think God wants the same? He wants purity of our heart, the right reasons behind doing the right things matter it matters there are three things that I want you to see today one of them is that when we pray we speak to God not to people second when we pray we get to the point we don't babble on and third when we pray to the father we pray for his will and for his provision Let's look at that first thought. Much of this thought I've already preached as I've introduced the concept that when we pray, we speak to God, not to people. In Matthew 6.6, it says, When you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Is this text forbidding praying in public? Before you answer, I want to remind you that Jesus prayed in public. In fact, I'd like to read you one of his prayers at Lazarus' tomb. This prayer is illustrative of both the first and the second point. The first point, that you're speaking to God and not to people. However, he was aware that people were overhearing. And the second, you get to the point, you don't babble on, okay? At Lazarus' tomb, he prayed two sentences. Here they are from John 11. Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed in front of a crowd. He prayed out loud. He prayed knowing that they were listening. He prayed to the Father, for their benefit. He wanted them to listen. He wanted them to listen to strengthen their faith. You know, that's the function of praying in public. It's for the person that's praying to express the faith, the doubt, the hopes, the needs of the congregation that have gathered. And overhearing those prayers... Strengthen us. Isn't it nice to hear someone praying for you? A a couple of weeks ago, we were preaching just down uh, the road from here to church nearby in Riverside. And uh, something happened at that church that's never happened in our ministry before. I asked my wife for permission to tell this story. She says, yes, you can tell it. Just don't ask me to come up and tell it. And so that's fair enough, isn't it? Now, I've preached at this church several times enough that, uh, you know, they didn't introduce me. I just walked up to the pulpit and started preaching at the appropriate time. They knew I was coming, and they knew who I was. And so it was starting to feel a bit like being among friends. And so after the service, an older gentleman, now you see how old I am, right? Older than this, an older gentleman approached me, and as he was walking towards me, I'd taken off my microphone, I walked towards him, I thought maybe he wanted me to pray with him or had something he wanted to say, and he said, would it be all right if I talked to your wife? and i said well sure and i stepped aside he went over to talk to susan and then the next person that approached me i started talking to that person well as we left the church in the car i was curious what did this gentleman want to say to you and she said he didn't talk to me he asked me if he could pray for me And he prayed for her as she stands beside me in ministry. He prayed for her to be blessed, to be well. And my wife's a very shy person, and so I asked her, Was it okay? She said it was wonderful. And then what she said next really shocked me, especially uh, we're, we're about on our 40th anniversary, and the entire time we've been married, I've been preaching. I started preaching when I was still a teenager so of course and so we've been leaders in uh, churches for many years and she told me that was the first time anyone had ever prayed for her like that and that it meant a lot to her how about when people pray for you Maybe when you've lost a loved one, when you've been discouraged. There may even have been times when you've sought out one of the elders because you needed prayer. And you didn't want them to pray silently, did you? You wanted the encouragement that came from hearing them pray out loud. During public prayer, we receive encouragement. And so Matthew 6 6 is not a prohibition against us praying in public. Uh, it is just like the statement about don't sound the trumpet with giving to the poor. Perhaps this is not a literal secretive room that you're going into that you're praying. Maybe it's with that attitude. What I'm saying is, even if you're a group and you're praying out loud, you can be in your prayer closet. You can be aware that others are listening just the way Jesus was aware when he prayed at Lazarus' tomb, but you are still praying to your Father. And you pray for him in the same way you would as if nobody is listening. You're having a conversation with the Father. In other words, the prayer closet is not necessarily a physical location. I think it's more like a state of mind. Pastor Josh Safeful, uh, Sa- uh, Safe Cow learned the hard way, the importance of praying to the Father when he prays publicly. In his book, uh, in the book Living the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he wrote. Our church was hosting a movie premiere for a well-anticipated, faith-based film. The film brought in all sorts of people from the community. It was powerful and delivered a strong Christian message. Once the film ended, a well-respected minister brought a word of encouragement. He encouraged and uplifted everyone in the room, and by the end of his five-minute reflection, the congregation was on its feet in applause. My responsibility for the evening was to close in prayer. All I had to do was pray. In the brief 10 steps I made to the pulpit, my competitive nature took over. Make this the best prayer they've ever heard. The immediate desire to impress this crowd became rooted in my mind and I used prayer as a self-promotion tool. As soon as I began to pray, I began to spiritualize every word. God sounded a lot more like God. By the end of my prayer, people were standing and shouting hallelujahs and praise the Lord's. I ended on a high note, quoting a poem I had memorized years ago to encourage them as we left for the evening. After saying the final amen, I made a beeline for the door. I was embarrassed at what I had done. When I got home, I asked God to forgive me of the selfishness in my heart. In four minutes, I turned from a preacher to a performer. The desire to impress became more important than the simple task of saying, thank you, Lord, with a pure motive. I am indebted. Pastor Safe Calf for his honesty and transparency here. And it kept me from having to tell a similar story of when I've done the same thing. We have an audience with the Creator God. So when we pray, we speak to the Father. We speak to the Father. Second, Jesus teaches us to get to the point and not babble on. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, chapter 6, verse 7, since they will imagine they'll be heard for their many words. As I read this, I immediately thought, about when Elijah had his showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. Do you remember that from your Old Testament? Uh, They were to see who was the genuine God and so uh, they were to, to pray and if their God, if Baal was God, he would answer their prayer with fire and accept the sacrifice they had laid out. And the same for Elijah's God. He would pray. And so the prophets of Baal 450 of them against one lonely prophet of God 450 and they prayed all morning long they prayed from morning till noon but their God didn't answer them now at that point Elijah interrupted their prayers to make fun of them he mocked them he mocked their God and they responded by cut uh, turning it up a notch they literally cut themselves as they prayed to show their devotion, and they continued for several more hours. And you know what happened, right? Nothing happened. When it was Elijah's turn that evening, so these 450 have prayed loud and proud all day long, probably exhausted by now. Elijah gets up to pray, and he gets to the point. And this is in contrast to the way the Gentiles had prayed. He said, I'm going to read the whole prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that at your word I've done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. The 450 prophets of Baal prayed all day long, but nothing happened. Elijah prays a brief, to-the-point prayer, and fire fell from heaven and lapped up the sacrifice. And the people that day knew whose God was really God. You don't have to pray all day long what you say to reach eternity for goodness sake especially if you're going to pray out loud get to the point get to the point don't babble on and on and on and by the way the only reason to babble on is if you're not caught up on your prayer life hello Or, you're trying to impress the people listening. Otherwise, you can get to the point. When I read Jesus' prayer at Lazarus' tomb just a moment ago, did you notice how brief it was? How to the point it was. Longer is not longer, it's not better, it's just longer. Get to the point. The third thing that Jesus teaches us here is we pray to the Father, we pray for His will, and we pray for His provision. As we go through the model prayer, I want you to notice how really simple this is. You pray to the Father, you pray for His will, and you pray for provision. Verse 9, remember you are praying to the Father. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Remember who you're talking to. And approach him respectfully. You're not speaking to a casual friend. You are speaking to your Heavenly Father. And you remind yourself in your prayer that you're speaking to God. And when you pray, there's really two things He's asked us to pray for. Pray for His will and then pray for provision. You're praying for His will to be done. You're not trying to convince Him what you want Him to do. Okay? Are you setting down? Good. Too many times our prayer life is trying to convince God what He ought to be doing like you're the sovereign person in the conversation. You pray for His will to be done. It doesn't say pray that you will know His will. Praying to know His will is irrelevant if you're not going to do it. Too many people are wanting to know what the will of God is so they can decide whether or not they're going to do it. Am I right? Well, let's just bypass all of that. Let's just get straight to it. Lord, what's your will? My answer is yes. Let me know what your will is. We've got to stop people with the self-serving prayers. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about us. It's about Him. His will. What He wants done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then because we are dependent upon Him... We pray for physical provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice it doesn't say, give it to me. It says, give it to us. Give us this day. You cannot pray for your daily bread if you don't pray for mine and others in this room. And in these times, the Christians in Myanmar, the Christians in Afghanistan. You see, you've got to pray globally. You got, you got, it's not just you that has needs. Everybody in this room has needs. And the nations have needs. Do you know that the persecuted church, as they gather this weekend, is praying for Americans? Did you know that? You know what they've told me they're praying? They're praying we'll learn to depend on God and not on what we have. Can we return the favor and pray for them? I have in the doctoral program at Gateway Seminary, we have five doctoral candidates that live in Myanmar. When you saw the pictures of the coup going on there on the news, I was thinking about individuals, my students, their needs. We have a Canada that lives in Pakistan, right on the border of Afghanistan. And when I pray for him, I'm praying as they're preparing for the refugees that are going to come across the border. That they'll take more than food and water, that they'll take the living bread and the living water. Do you see my point, friends? We need to open our mind up to remember that Christianity is not an Inland Empire phenomena. And the things that irritate us and the things that occupy our time, I know they're important, but they're not exhaustive. What about the church in China? What about the world? say where do you get this from this text Jim look at the word it says us who do you think it's talking about just Americans give us this day our daily bread and then we're not just praying for physical provision but we're praying for spiritual provision and forgive us our debts oh look at this next line Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then it's very interesting that after the end of this prayer, we see uh, what the comment is. In verse 14, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. He goes right from praying to, say, teaching. And he starts talking about forgiveness of others. You say, preacher, I can't forgive. You don't know what they've done. And I say, yes, you can forgive because I know what Christ has done on the cross. Let it go. Move on. Let Christ, the resurrected Christ, indwell you, and you forgive because the way Jesus taught us to pray is, Lord, if you want to know how I want to be forgiven of my sins, watch me in the way that I forgive others when they harm me. See, we're praying for spiritual provision, for forgiveness. And then, and do not bring in us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen, all around us is temptation. And I don't know where your mind just went when I said there's temptation. Likely the very area where you're tempted the most. And you need the power of God in your life, don't you? You know, the temptations comes different from those that are raised in Sunday school versus those that are raised on the streets, you know. But the temptation is just as strong for each. My temptation as a person that was raised in Sunday school and church, and I mean, my earliest memories of life is falling asleep on my mother's lap in church while the preacher was preaching. I still sleep a little bit when the preacher preaches. It's a good thing. See, my temptation is to start to think I'm better than other people and become like these hypocrites and be judgmental, you see. But wherever your temptation goes, we pray that God will deliver us from evil. And notice the word is us, right? It's not just about you. It's about all of us. We're going to pray together. But after preaching a sermon on public prayer, I'm a little nervous about praying out loud publicly. Do you mind? Instead, I would like to ask the congregation to pray. And I want to take you through a guided prayer, using the model prayer as our guide. Would you bow together as we pray? Take a moment to orient yourself to who you're praying to and pray to your Father in heaven and speak of his grandeur and his holiness and his goodness. Right now, I know there are burdens and concerns in your life, your children, your grandchildren, for yourself, your roommate. Pray for God's will to be done. Stop trying to convince God what to do. Pray for his will to be done for your willingness to follow his will when it's revealed. Everyone in the room has physical needs. It may be a food insecurity kind of a need, or it may be a health need. Emotions. Pray for God's daily bread, but not just for you, but for us. You're aware of people in your own congregation who are hurting. Pray for them. And don't forget our friends around the world. Would you pray also for spiritual provision? For our own forgiveness? Our ability to forgive? Our constant battle with reoccurring sin in our life? We thank you, Lord as Jesus did when he prayed, that you hear us when we pray. And Father, I know that part of the vision of Lakeshore is that there'll be a a praying church. I pray, Lord, that they will be. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth.